Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to another segment here on GEMS Podcast. With me today in the hot seat is a special guest by the name of Mark Schweighofer. And Mark is a lawyer by trade. And we're going to get into some common mistakes that you should be mindful of when you are trying to um, scale or sell your business. So that looks like buying and selling businesses and preparing your business for sale. But let me tell you a little bit more about Mark's background so you have a full representation of the work that he is currently doing. He provides transactional tax and business advice related to entity formation, partnership and stockholder agreements, equity and debt financing and business transition. Confident and committed to his clients, Mark takes great pride in gaining a deep understanding of their present and long-term goals, recognizing that no two cases are alike. Mark has a keen ability to adapt and strategize creatively and to communicate complex tax information clearly and concisely. Mark has extensive experience with international tax matters and assists both domestic and foreign clients in structuring their affairs with sensitivity to U.S. income tax considerations. He represents clients before the Internal Revenue Service, IRS, y'all, on complex tax controversy issues in myriad areas, including partnership and corporate income tax examinations, employment taxes, and personal income tax matters. Additionally, Mark works regularly with tax-exempt organizations navigating a morass of complex rules and working to ensure and to maximize the organization's tax-exempt status and protections. So we're going to get into a lot of rules and regulations, what to look out for, and we're going to simplify it for you so it makes sense and it makes it easier for you to digest the material because I know talking about this stuff could be very mundane and boring, but it's better to be proactive versus reactive if something were to happen to you and your business later on down the line. So would you rather pay X amount of dollars up front to keep yourself out of hot water, or would you want to pay excess amounts later on whenever you are thriving in your business and then you realize that you didn't dot all your I's and cross your T's? So on that note, let's bring on the expert, Mark Schweighofer. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. My pleasure, Mark. So I want to jump into a fun way to get the guests to connect with you. So we could do it via one or two ways. So the first one is an icebreaker, or we could do a rapid fire 10 question game. What are you in the mood for? Let's do the rapid fire. Okay, this one's going to be rapid, Mark. Here we go. All right, there we go. We're playing rapid fire with Mark and Genesis. Do, 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 do. Question number one. If you could recreate any significant moment in your life, what would it be and why? Oh, there's a there's a lot that I'd like to there's some do-overs you'd love, of course. Um I you know, I, I don't think I could pick just one. I've had 
had a lot of I've had a lot of great moments in my life, but there's you know one of the things that I'd like to be able to do I think is when the moment's happening, slow myself down a bit, and really enjoy it. And so that's but that's one of the areas that I think sometimes you know being where your feet are I guess is the saying of the day. So that that that's my answer to that. So being intentional <laughs> and just enjoying the moment, you would say. Yeah, exactly. Question two: favorite color. Green. Question three, what's your drink of choice? Coffee, tea, or something else? Oh, coffee. <laughs> Question four. <laughs> Live on coffee. <laughs> Question four, what led you to practicing tax law out of all things? <laughs> well, it's, it's sort of by default, I guess. Um, I tried a bunch of different, I tried a bunch of different thing, career paths um, before I decided to go to law school. Even when I went to law school, I wasn't 100% sure of what I wanted to do. Um, I did know that I wanted to be involved in sort of transactional work in the business community and and taxes drive so much of that. And so I ended up taking a, law, a tax class in my second year of law school and I absolutely hated it, um, but did fairly well at it and then had a conversation with a professor who said, you should you know look at this advanced degree called an LLM in taxation. Um, and then from there on, I, I really kind of fell in love with the discipline after that. So it's, it's, it's that, that's kind of how I got here, but it was certainly not by design. You know, nobody's, I don't think there's a lot of 10 year olds sitting around saying, I want to be a tax lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> no. Question five, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Well, I was going to say fly. Um, but in the DC, like, I think I may change it slightly since I have kids and I live in the, in outside of the Washington DC area, maybe just teleporting. So you could be different places quickly. Um, cause flying, fly, flying would be fine, but teleporting is, is just as good. I think. Six, would you rather a dream car, dream home or hell let's go big and have both. Yeah. I mean, why, why would you go small? Let's, let's have them both. Seven, what is a favorite quote, mantra, or something that keeps you motivated? Um, I think it's the, I think it was Henry Ford, maybe, that said, whether you think you can or can't, um, and I may be butchering a little bit, you're right. So whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. So it just kind of underscores the importance of, of attitude, I think, and determination on that. And I, I use that a lot with with myself, I use that a lot with my with my kids when, you know, whether it's coaching or otherwise, it's, you know, that I think it's 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 served me well to this point. So uh, that's been one of my favorites. Eight, being a parent is an incredible job where you're juggling many hats. What's one piece of uh, parental advice that you would give? Um, I guess, you know, be, be present, I think, as much as you possibly can be and, um, and, and, and listen to your kids. I mean, they're, I, I think, is important, too. Um, they, they're, they're, you know, as my children get older, I have a, an 11-year-old now and, and an 8-year-old, and they're, you know, watch them turning into real little people, just, you know, looking at them as the, as the future and, and the way their thoughts, you know, I, I feel like at this point, I'm starting to learn as much from them as they do from me. Amazing. I like that. Nine. If you... No, I'm going to do this question. You get three random acts of kindness per day for you to do for someone else. What are your three for today? So I would give, I, we'd, I would like to donate money to um, predominantly to a, a local, some local organizations around here, whether it's combating individuals experiencing homelessness or um, having some food insecurity. 
Um, I, you know, I, I would like to do some work, you know, some manual labor work with some of my some of my neighbors who are a little who are a little bit older in age and can use some help with that. Um, and then really trying to be a mentor to some to individuals, I think, in in whether it's this profession or otherwise that, um, you, you know, could just somebody who's just kind of cutting their teeth so they can kind of learn from the mistakes I've made. Amazing. And question 10. It's our pass or play question. And here are the rules. If you pass, our rules are reversed and you get to ask me a question. If you choose to play, I ask one last question to wrap up rapid fire. So do you want to pass or play? I will pass um, okay. if that's okay. So yeah, <laughs> looking through, you know, looking through and listening to your, your podcast um, since, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, I'm I'm stunned by just how broad a spectrum of guests you have. I mean, you have, and and that I think probably has its own challenges in terms of trying to center it for your, you know, for, for your audience. Um, how do you how do you do that? So whenever I first started the podcast, I started with me um, just talking about my grief journey, losing my father in 2020 to medical negligence. So that was the chunk of the podcast. I was just doing solo episodes and then there were various um, speakers that kept reaching out to me because I had joined podmatch.com. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not in a space to um, interview. Then I had an aha moment. I was like, well, I love talking to people. I talked to people a ton when I was in oil and gas via networking or my clients or whatnot. And I was like, if I could do it there, um, I could do it for myself. And then just um, backing up before that, there were three different CEOs that I was working for simultaneously in the podcasting space that reached out to me to host their um platform. So they paid me to interview their guests. And I had no idea like about the work that they were doing, but they appreciated the style that I had and how I could weave conversations and et cetera together. So that also gave me some confidence. And then just fast forwarding, I'm cutting out bits and pieces of the conversation because I know we're on a time commitment. And then whenever I really sat down to let it marinate, I was like, well, I want to come up with pillars. So my pillars around my show is to put out content that's either educational, inspirational, or motivational. And I called it gems because I truly believe that we all have some form of gems to share that someone could learn from and they could leverage that knowledge and apply it to their particular scope of work. And then um, since I'm big into DEI and B, which is diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, if you niche down, then that's taking away some form of inclusion. So that's how I kind of kept the broad audience versus how other podcasters choose to niche down. And even though some of my mentors told me to niche, I was like, it actually worked out at, for me in a competitive advantage because my podcast is ranked in the top 2% globally out of 2.8 million and I had no idea what I was doing when I was running my own show, because when I worked for CEOs, they had the team of editors, they had all the people, all I was <laughs> doing was the voice to interview. So I hope that answers your question. We can no, talk. It, does. <laughs> it, it definitely does. And it's, it, but it, it's fascinating. Cause like I said, it's, it's, it, it's a real skill. And I, I mean, I know your audience appreciates it, but it's, it's definitely one, it's something that's very hard to do. You know, a lot of podcasts get into the real nitty gritty um, of things and they, and it's really hard to be that diverse. And so it's, it's, you know, I think, I think you, you pull it off masterfully. 
Thank you so much, Mark. And now let's dive in to the work that you're doing, because I think the work that you're doing is incredible. And you're actually saving people a ton of money if they're really going to be smart whenever they're thinking about a business. And I can be the first one to say I am guilty because whenever I started the podcast, I was like, okay, maybe I need to have certain legalities in place. And I was like, I know legal stuff from an oil and gas perspective, but I was like, how can I take the stuff that I learned from oil and gas and partner it with my entrepreneurship journey? Because it is the same. It's just different industries. So um, let's talk about some of the common mistakes that people make whenever they are transitioning, maybe from an employee bucket into entrepreneurship and they're building their business. And I guess we could say maybe they're bootstrapping their business. They're working in their business right now instead of on their business. So they're doing everything and they don't feel like they're at the point where it makes sense to bring in outside people who have a different zone of genius. So let's start there. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's an entirely different seat that you're sitting in when you're, you know, when you go from being an employee, you know, working for somebody else to being a, you know, business owner, um, whether it's just you as the, you know, whether you are the business or whether you have a team of, you know, hundreds or thousands of, of, of people eventually, uh, it's just a very different mindset. Um, and it can be very overwhelming, I think, for a lot of people when they're getting started. Uh, but the the one thing I think that separates that that pretty much all successful business owners have is they have that drive and they have that vision of what they want to do. Um, and so they've they've got the creativity there. And that's one of the things that kind of drew me to to the the business side of of, of tax and corporate laws working with those those really highly creative people and trying to add some value and some expertise on areas that aren't necessarily, you know, kind of at the forefront for them. I mean, one of the first things I think to think about, you know, as, as you're starting out is, you know, protecting to some extent what you do have. So if you've worked for a lot of years and you've built up some, you know, you've built up some, some cash to start your own business, you know, maybe you have a home, um, you have you have a family. You have you have certain assets. One of the things you want to you want to be sure to do is make sure that you have some sort of what we call in the legal profession a, a limited liability vehicle that would be that would be kind of the face of your business, whether that's an, an LLC or a corporation. And one of the big the biggest advantage in my mind of of those entities is if you you know if you structure it right and you follow all the formalities, you know, having separate bank accounts and books and records. If something happens at your business and, you know, and, and God forbid you get sued or, or something like that happens, whatever the business owns can be at risk, but you're, you know, they're not coming to your house. They're not going to be able to reach your bank account. Your personal assets are secure. So, you know, for, for, the, for somebody just looking to kind of start out, you know, making sure like you have some sort of a limited liability vehicle there, you know, to, to kind of be the, the outward facing organization is important, I think, just just for that, just for that purpose. Um, and then once you've made that decision, then it really becomes, well, which, you know, there's different types of business entities. Like I said, there's, you know, there, there's corporations, there are S corporations, there are limited liability companies. And there, you know, and and a lot of, and there are different rules that apply to each, and there are different tax treatments that apply to each. And so, 
that's one really where with the advice of whether it's a lawyer and, and working with a CPA to kind of help you navigate which one of them is the most, you know, makes the most sense for, for you. And it may change over time um, as well, because there, you know, there are, you know, I have seen a lot of businesses, you, you, you can't succeed on day one or day two, but you can, you can fail. And so if you, you know, if you, if you pick the wrong entity from the start, the wrong entity structure, it can be very difficult, you know, not impossible, but it can be very difficult to recover from down the line. And you can end up costing yourself, you know, a significant amount of, uh, of money um, on the, on the, you know, either on the back end or over time. So I think that's, that's kind of, like the key things to kind of think about initially or to make sure you have, you know, sort of those structures in place and, and getting the proper advice. Um, you know, nobody likes to pay for that, for that sort of advice when you're just starting up and trying to, you know, scratch every penny and, and make the dollars go the farthest. But that is one, you know, having, having that converse, having those conversations, it's well worth it. It's, a, it's worth the investment. So here's a myth that I want to see. Is it a myth or a fact? Let's bust it. Um, so some people mention whenever they're first starting off, they'll go the LLC route, um, depending where, where they're located. That's the most cost effective if they're just getting started just to protect some of their assets. And then as they begin to scale, maybe they'll transition it to an S-corp or a C-corp whenever they begin to employ people that are now working for them. Do you think that is a smart and effective route or do you think that is a myth or a fact? It's, I mean, I think it's, well, not to give the over lawyered answer, but it, <laughs> it, it, it depends. Um, so, you know, the, the LLC route is, is, is definitely kind of the, the model um, for the last 10 or 15, 20 years, I think that, that most startups use or, mo you know, most, most entrepreneurs use as their first step. Um, whether or not you ever transition to another, you know, into another type of entity or, you know, or different tax classification really kind of depends on the business. Um, in some instances, like if you're going to, if you're just going to continue to run it forever um, and, and you have a pretty good profit stream, you might want to be an S corporation at some point, um, just because you, there are some payroll tax savings that can come along with that under current, under the current laws. Um, and, and it, but, but it keeps it relevant and it's still kind of a, what we call a pass-through entity, meaning the, with LLCs and, and S corps, they don't pay federal income taxes themselves, their owners do. And so there's only a single layer of tax there. So they're very efficient from that perspective. Um, but as you, as you say, as you start to scale, um, you know, perhaps you're going to go out and be approached by, you know, venture capital or private equity who may, you know, buy the business or invest heavily in the business. They may want it to be, you know, what we call a, a C corporation, which is a little bit more, it's a little bit more traditional. It's a, it, it, it itself pays taxes. Um, and so you may have to convert at some point. And you, so that life cycle that you outlined is, is, pretty much the typical, I think, kind of venture capital or private equity backed model where you start small and go, you know, start as an LLC and end up as a corporation at some point. Um, different types of businesses may have, you know, will take different paths on that. So it's not, it's certainly not one size fits all, but, you know, in general, I think, you know, what you said is, is fairly accurate for a lot of businesses. Perfect. And thank you for confirming that, Mark. And then another question here. Um, now, since we're in the great resignation, we see a lot of people that have pivoted career-wise and they've had 
may transition. So they're starting um, new businesses and they may not be doing business by themselves. They may be doing it with a partner. And IP, and for those of you listening, intellectual property um, is king because it's your creativity, it's your work and et cetera. So whenever you enter a partnership, what forms of legality would you say are the go-tos to have in place? Like whether it's an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, a non-compete or ways to make sure that you're protecting yourself as an individual, but your assets are protected as well as your partner. Because even though it's a partnership, you're broke, you are both bringing something to the table. And if something were to happen where the relationship gets severed, you want to make sure that you're protecting yourself and the content that you're putting out there. Yep. So you, you touched on a bunch of really important things there. The, the first one I think is even before you get started and you form a, you know, a partnership or, you know, we'll use that kind of in the generic sense here. One is make sure that what you're doing is allowed under whatever employment agreement you've had at your prior employer. You know, that, that I think is a first, is, is a first step. Like you don't want to be found, you know, it, you don't want to have a situation where, you had a non-compete or, you know, you use some intellectual property that was developed at a, from a former at a, while working at a former employer that they may have a claim to. So make sure. Mm-hmm. Wait, I want to add something really quick here y'all, sure. for the audience. So what, what Mark is talking about is so true because I would say from oil and gas and energy, whenever I got laid off in the pandemic, I did have to sign a document um, proving that I would not go to a competitor for X amount of time because it would be a conflict of interest since the work that I was doing prior was proprietary. So always make sure that you're mindful of what you're reading and you know, even though there may be loopholes, you never know how a big corporation who has tons of money to hire the best of the best lawyers could always come back and you don't want it to bite you in the behind. So I just wanted to put that out there. So you're mindful of conflict of interest and competitors, because even though you have information and knowledge, that knowledge could be privy that gives you a competitive advantage over the employer that you just left. Yep. No, that that's huge. And it can derail your, you know, it can derail your business from the start because, you know, a, a former employer can come in and say, look, that's our intellectual property. Right. And we, we, so we, uh, we own a piece of that, you know, and it just, even if they don't, it, 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 it gets, you know, it gets expensive and it gets muddled. So dealing with it up front makes, you know, makes a lot of sense. Um, you touched on a really important part, you know, often their strength in numbers, right? Or so the saying goes. So you often you will, you know, you will work with, you will join forces with other people and you will so- form some sort of it, you know, whether you're both shareholders of a corporation or members of an LLC, one of the key things to have, and it and it's critical, and it gets overlooked a lot. And frankly, a lot of times it gets downloaded off of, you know, not to disparage LegalZoom or those sorts of entity, you know, those sorts of organizations. They do a lot of good, but they, you know, you download a sort of a a partnership agreement or a stockholders agreement, and it it's a very critical document because it sets forth sort of the rights, duties, and obligations of you and your partner with respect to each other and with respect to the your obligations to the company. So if somebody, you know, what happens if somebody dies? What happens if somebody gets disabled? You know, what happens if somebody just wants to leave? Um, you know, the, the point of these agreements isn't to be super restrictive necessarily so that, you know, you have to pull it out every time and say, did we do this, this, and this? What it's, what that document is there for is to say, you know, when, 
when the stuff hits the fan and we're not, you know, we're getting along now, but in the event that we don't in the future or in the event, you know, I want to go left and you want to go right, how does the, you know, how do we settle that dispute? And, you know, other than you know, my, my firm does a lot here at Stein Sperling does a lot of business dispute work and the overwhelming majority of it is between former partners and former, you know, and, 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 and you know, former business partners. And almost always the dispute was foreseeable at the front. It was just that the right, you know, the, it, it, again, like we talked about before, it's overwhelming when you start, you're trying to figure out how to allocate very scarce amount of resources, but, you know, not having that agreement in place and not having it done, you know, not having thought through those issues, you're only costing yourself a lot more money later. Um, if you're dealing with a very expensive, litigation is not cheap. Um, you know, if you're dealing with a very expensive dispute among co-owners, I mean, it hurts the value of the business. It obviously hurts cash flow. It's very stressful. Um, and and there, it ends up with a lot of bad feelings. And so, it, you know, if you can deal with that stuff, having it, whether it's a, you know, if it's an LLC, it's usually called an operating agreement or an LLC agreement. If it's a partnership, it's a partnership agreement. If it's a corporation, it's a shareholders agreement. Those, do, like having that document that kind of dictates, you know, four or five key key points, like, do we have to put in more money? You know, how do I get out? Am I restricted from doing something if I leave? You know, there's not right answers to any of those questions necessarily, but you need to ask those questions and have thought it through. Um, and then you need to review it every so often too. You know, it's like what worked on day one isn't going to work, you know, five years from now, most likely. So you may need to sit back and, and you know, kind of renegotiate and, and rethink about that at some point. So I think that's that's probably, a, a, you know, of anything for, for the emerging entrepreneur that's, that's going to have a partner. Um, that's a very key, you know, a very key document to have in place. Amazing. And I know we're approaching our time commitment because we both have back ends. So Mark, I want to um, throw you audible to see if there's anything else you want to add. If not, we're going to jump into the call to action. And I want you to plug your call to action and then we'll plug your contact information. So someone who resonates with this, they can get a hold of you and continue the conversation offline. And once again, I will always welcome you back on to continue the conversation because I know it was condensed, but I just wanted to put enough information out there so they could do their due diligence. No, I don't think I have much else to add in the limited time, Genesis, but thank you very much and for, ha for having me on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, you know, on our, on our call to action, I, th I think you hit it in my intro, which is essentially, you know, doing it. it, it nobody enjoys <laughs> interacting with lawyers, contrary to what Shakespeare may have said. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, in, in terms of Doing things up front, well, yes, it costs money, um, and 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 yes, it forces some difficult conversations, particularly among co-owners, um, as you start out. But it's trying to do if you're trying if you can be proactive, you're proactive in all in a lot of other aspects of your business. Typically, you know, when I look at entrepreneurs, they didn't the, the successful ones don't get there by sitting back and waiting for the world to come to them. Most likely, they're out there being proactive, taking risks, doing you know taking shots, doing things. 
the same you have to do the same thing you know to protect the business on a, on a on a legal front too as i said before there's not a lot of things that you can do on day one that will ensure that you will be successful but there are things you can do on day one that will make that path to success much harder or, or much easier and so my I, I think my message that i would ask people to take away from this is be proactive you know figure out a budget, you know, that you have for legal legal expenses, have a conversation with legal counsel about what, where that, rep, you know, where your budget fits and whether, where that is realistically, and then just make sure, and then we, and then kind of sit back and prioritize, these are the things that we have to get done. And this is the thing that, you know, if, if, if this is the rocket ship that we hope it is, this will protect us both or all of us, however many there are going forward. So, I think that's the, you know, sitting, sitting back and being reactive in the legal community typically doesn't, it just doesn't work well. Um, so, you know, go out there and, and, you know, you're taking the world by storm and don't, you know, don't, don't leave this on the back burner. Amazing. And then the last thing, so you could jump off, I want you to plug your contact information so they could reach you. And I'll also link it in the show notes. Sure. So, um, my yeah, I'm at Stein. I'm the firm, yeah, the firm of Stein Sperling, uh, right outside of Washington D.C. in Rockville, Maryland. Uh, my email is my first initial M and my entire last name, which hopefully is in the podcast link somewhere, uh, so people don't have to try and spell Schweighoffer um, at, at steinsperling.com. So, uh, and my my direct phone number for those who need it is 301-838-3233. Thank you so much, Mark. So audience, uh, Mark's contact information, once again, will be in the show notes. Don't forget to like, follow, comment, and subscribe. We're on 40 plus platforms. You could also see this video on our YouTube channel by going to Gems with Genesis and Mars Kemp. Until the next guest, next episode, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day and be an asset, not a liability, and always do your research. Due diligence is key. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.